0: Welcome to the Steelers Outpost podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. It's August 8th, 2021. This is Tom coming to you from Sawdust Studios in the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. The good news is it feels good to have a game to talk about, be that as it may. It was a game. We have some interesting news from James Washington, and we'll also talk about what's next for the Steelers after this opening salvo. But first, a word from our sponsor.
1: Spotify Green Room. Spotify Greenroom is a live, audio-only sports talk platform that lets you cut out the noise and bring in the action. And when I say action, I'm talking about sports talk, people. You can talk to fans, athletes, and even insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, for debates, for post-game breakdowns. I'm not talking strategic. I'm talking emotional, like when... Chris Boswell went for the game-winning like 35-yard field goal against the Raiders a couple years ago, and he literally fell down on his butt before the, you know, he could make contact with the ball. That's heartbreak. That's a breakdown. If I had if I had Spotify Green Room at that time, I would have gone on there to rant. Good news for you is all you got to do is download the Spotify Green Room app for free in the iOS App Store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group.
0: So we do have a game to talk about. I'm excited about that. and uh, But we have some, I guess I'd characterize it as unexpected, but maybe not surprising news.
1: James Washington wants out. Okay, so yeah, I almost feel like you're underselling it, but it's probably just your absolutely marble smooth radio voice. I know how excited you are about this game because we talked about it all day before the game, all day during the game. During the night after the game completed, and for about an hour before this podcast, before we realized that like, we should probably just do this thing a day early. Okay, so we are ecstatic that football is back. Okay, I think I'm seeing a lot of podcasts and radio shows go back and forth. Some, uh, you know, overdo it, just say, oh, it's football. We don't care if it's the Hall of Fame game, it's football. Big cat um, from part of my take. The The main, the the behemoth of all sports podcasts. He has a great take on the Hall of Fame game in preseason. He said, hey, it's all about getting used to the colors on the screen. Don't worry about the game. The game sucks. Just get used to those colors on the screen. The football uniforms. You got those Steelers, black and yellow uniforms. You got the green grass, the white lines. I guess you got the Cowboys out there. It's just about that. You got uh, Chris Long of Greenlight Podcast, another phenomenal podcast. Not, Not quite PMT, but Chris Long's phenomenal um he talks about i don't want to hear anybody saying how excited they are for football of course we're excited about it but we're going to talk about basketball side note a sport they know nothing about we're going to talk about that and then pat mcafee somewhere in the middle i would categorize you and i dad as being somewhere in the middle until this game happened where i found myself so surprised at how into it i was but let's circle back to james washington because we got to nip this in the bud Before, uh, you know, we get into the game because there's a ton to talk about. So, and probably one of the least surprising trade requests ever, James Washington, in true James Washington fashion, being the great stand-up individual that he is, has asked politely for a trade. He has not demanded a trade. He has just pointed out the obvious. They're like, hey, I'm pretty good. My contract's about to expire. I'm the fourth receiver on the Steelers. I'm not getting any reps in practice, barely gotten into that game the other day. Like, can I go play for another team where I can actually play football? And the Steelers are like, all right, well, this is in the news now. Here's my stance on the trade. Of course, he should be asking for one. I think Steelers Nation has a massive issue. There is some sort of erotic fixation that they have on James Washington and Dwayne Haskins. If Steelers Nation had their way, Ben would have been benched years ago for Haskins and AB would have been traded. Oh, he's too expensive. Put in Washington, the best receiver we've ever seen in Pittsburgh. Okay, let me put it into perspective, James Washington. James Washington is a good receiver. He's he's really solid. He can be a starting guy. Something I think the casual fan doesn't realize is like when they're not on the screen, the receivers, there's other things that are going on, right? Like he really struggles. He's not, he's not fast. He doesn't get off press coverage. He's not dynamic after the catch. I know he's had some really big plays. And that to me indicates like, this guy is a good receiver, but he's not a great receiver. Like a lot of Steelers Twitter seems to say like, why can't you get him on the field more? And it's, dad, you're with me, right? We're taking crazy pills. It's insane. Why aren't we getting him on the field more? It's because like, well, what about Steve McNair? What a great quarterback. What if he was on the team with Tom Brady? Wouldn't you be like, we need to get Steve McNair on the field more? And I'm not saying that Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, and, and Juju Smith-Schuster are Tom Brady. But the fact of the matter is the Steelers are absolutely unbelievable at drafting wide receivers. And there are three receivers who are better than James Washington, who, yes, does some things well. But he's just buried on the depth chart. So this is no fault of the Steelers not you know, getting him more playing time because, once again, who are you going to take off the field? And especially if you know, like, oh, I know you can get mad at Deontay Johnson, but the guy had, you know, the guy's really freaking good. And his ceiling is higher because he can do more things. James Washington can catch deep. So can Deontay. But Deontay also can catch and run. He can run routes. He's by far the best Steelers player at getting off of press coverage. Chase Claypool is a megatron. I don't have to go into detail about his potential. And Juju Smith-Schuster is maybe the most consistent receiver in the damn league, right, as much as people want to hate on him. So I understand why he wants a trade. No, I do not think he should be getting more playing time. And no, I definitely do not think they should trade him unless they got a miracle, like, fourth-round pick for him because the Steelers have gone all in for this year. They've made that abundantly clear by spending up to the salary cap limit, by keeping Ben, by saying everything they've said in the press, by drafting Najee Harris. They're going for the Super Bowl. Their wide receiver room is super deep. James Washington will probably have to play this year when one of those starting three guys misses some time, even if it's a game or whatever. And it is such a luxury to have a starting quality wide receiver like James Washington be able to go into the game. And to me, I know it's like, oh, you're not going to get anything if you let him walk after this year. Well, to me, getting a fifth or sixth round pick at the cost of losing your depth during a Super Bowl attempted year That's not worth it at all to me. So that's where I stand. I'd be shocked if the Steelers did trade him. I feel bad for James, but not that bad because it kind of seems like there is some national awareness around him. Des Bryant, another former Oklahoma State receiver, put out a tweet the day before the trade request saying, if you want a star wide receiver, pick up James Washington. Okay, let's pump the brakes here. It's two Oklahoma State guys. We're being liberal with the use of the term star. Um, But uh, there's like... James will get picked up somewhere next year. But for me right now, I feel bad for the guy, but sorry, you're not going anywhere. What do you think, Dad?
0: I love James Washington. Love. I want him to do well. But this is team first, right? You can't on one hand argue or criticize the Steelers for any lack of success if you're on the other hand arguing to put in the four-string receiver. Let's also can we dig in a little bit to the contention that the Steelers are deep at wide receiver? The Steelers have a great first line.
1: Four. And they
0: have James Washington. Huh? Right.
1: Yeah, a first four.
0: And and they, have, and they have James Washington. They have great starters, and they have, and they have James Washington. After that, I wouldn't call it great. I mean, it is no. Ray-Ray McLeod is the only name you heard. Maybe some of these younger guys will. They're just unproven. It's all potential. So in a year where 3 you're going to get three receivers who don't miss time, or even to have a, yeah. a change-up guy in have the ability to have a change-up guy in there. That's valuable. I don't think I would take a fourth rounder because, as you pointed out, if you're really pushing through a Super Bowl window right now, why would you settle for future potential? There's no reasonable scenario, i.e. a third round choice, that I right, see happening right. that would compel me to, change, uh, to, to get him out of his contract or trade him.
1: Yeah, if some psychopath gave you a third rounder, then I do say, "Oh, okay, no, no, that that's mass." Yeah, yeah. What, call the Raiders; they'll give us a third. Yeah, I, I, if they, if someone gave you a third, some psychopath, because that's not going to happen. Then yeah, you do take that, and I don't have problem removing the depth because that is like, that's a freaking lottery ticket right there. You know, you can get Deontay Johnson in the third round. Third rounders in Pittsburgh are generally good players, right? A fourth rounder is a maybe, and then after that, I do not care. I don't get any value from fifth or sixth round picks particularly when I'm taking into account the fact that I would be losing massive depth at that position. If you're in a rebuild, yeah, sure, whatever. Get him out of town. But, yeah, I understand why people love him because he's such a likable guy, such a hard worker. He's – a good teammate as demonstrated by him not making a massive stink out of this. Well, obviously we'll have to see what he does going forward. I don't think it would be in his personality to, to raise absolute hell. Although we'll see what an agent can convince a guy to do. It is his career, but yeah, James Washington, love him. I do think he's a really solid player. I just think the Steelers have major talent at the other positions ahead of him. And uh, as far as the trade goes, yeah, not super interested in making that happen. And I hope that's not how it goes down.
0: Many people poo poo the preseason. But you know what? What I have found in doing this podcast, the more you know about a team, the more interesting preseason is. You know the players' names, where they came from, some of their stories, and you can watch their sort of their career play out in the preseason. I won't say, you know, I've been thinking about this game a lot, and it's really hard to critique the team as a whole because, you know, first of all, the level of the competition they're playing doesn't really. Project what they would do in a in a real situation, but um, I'm not sure I saw anybody make or break themselves in this game. There were some cool, there's some great plays we'll talk about. There were yeah. some strong performances. I don't know if it actually got people a spot on the team or not, but um, but I think it was a solid performance. Everybody performed. You know, I didn't see any F performances, and I didn't see any A plus performances. I saw a couple well, a+, a plus plays.
1: One a plus I performance.
0: Resp- I respectfully withdraw that comment there was one a plus performance and,
1: and we all know that's future NFL MVP Presley Harvin Jr this Steelers may actually have a freaking punter now I the if I'm just giving general thoughts first an overview I agree with you yeah you're not really going to judge the team at this point you're just looking for guys like James Pierre like okay this guy is he came out of absolute nowhere had a good camp last year projected to be a starter this year. I need to see this guy in coverage. And we did get to see him in coverage and he got, he got, got on one play. But other than that, whew, he was nice. He was right around the ball all the time. So yeah, those are the kind of things you're looking for. My, my take on the game, just from a personal standpoint, if I'm not even looking at the players and the performance, I was shocked at how psyched I was for the game. I hate the hall of fame game. I'm a Steelers fan. I remember P- Pouncy and Squishy going down in that one game. I know how bad their field is, even though they've gotten it uh, worked on a little bit. Um, so I'm not into it. And I, I had so much fun watching the game. It just shows it's time for football again, you know, especially after a tough year, whatever, whatever, whatever. And there's just a lot of cool players to watch. It helps when the third string quarterback is Dwayne Haskins. And there's like this hope that you're going to get to see the guy, you know, ascend. And then your fourth stringer is a guy that you're really familiar with preseason all-star Josh Dobbs. So it helps having those kind of people in. But um, yeah, I agree with you overall. Uh, I got a little list here of standout moments and players, and then I got a list of uh, the negatives that occurred. And then I think we can go into position breakdowns. That's cool. Ready to rock and roll? Let's do it. Standout moments and players: Presley Harvin the third. Is that the best game you've ever seen from a punter?
0: Presley Harvin the third. Please, please pronounce it correctly.
1: I'm going to punt this down to the one-yard line. His first punt goes on the uh, – hits at the one-yard line, backspins. It's the God – I mean, obviously, you put the backspin on the ball, but that is the football God saying, hey, Steelers, we know you're taking a lot of crap from every person who's not a Steelers fan on God's green earth. We're going to throw you a little bone at the front of this. Not only are your wishes going to be fulfilled in attaining the fat punter, but he's going to be really good. An amazing game for him. Best game I can remember seeing from a punter. Three or four punts down inside the 12-yard line, and one of them being on the one. Uh, yeah, he was magnificent, so obviously he's a standout. Oh, man, I know that was your guy in the draft process, Dad. So it was everybody's guy. Everybody. Yeah, it's everybody's
0: Do you know, guy. oddly, did we get, um, who was the guys, who was the long snapper's name from three years ago? <laughs> we got in the sixth round.
1: Greg Warren? Oh, no, you're talking about Kennedy. We,
0: no, I'm talking the guy who
1: oh yeah the candidate they took drafted. his job
0: from we drafted oh, man,
1: him man ba- i can't believe i i can't remember this name right now the the long snapper that the steelers mm. drafted yeah who, who well anyways what's your point
0: uh special teams guys i do like to see the kicker
1: colin holba
0: colin colin holba yeah where is he You'd now like to see
1: the kicker what does that have to do with the long snapper
0: just the fact you're, dra- you know, there's there's definitely interest in in drafting a kicker, punter, or a place oh, yeah. kicker as opposed to any other special teams. I guess that is the only other special teams guy.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, the long snapper is just a slap in the face. Like, what the hell? Anybody can do this. Anybody, you could do it, Dad. I could do it. You hear that? Any long snappers out there? <laughs> no, that one pissed me off. But I actually, it's a good point because. You would assume, like, oh, my God, if you're a long snapper and you get drafted, you, you probably have to be the best long snapper in the league. The dude didn't even make the team. So if I'm interpreting this correctly, Presley Harvin, just the fact that he got drafted does not mean he's going to be good. And Robert Aguayo or whatever his name was, the highly touted kicker who the Buccaneers took in, like, the freaking second or third round a couple years ago was the worst kicker we've ever seen. I mean, he totally flamed out. I could see that happening because the pressure of being drafted that high was was too much. But just because you draft the guy doesn't mean it's going to work out. And so this is pretty cool. It's only one game, but you see the potential, obviously. That was a sterling game. So, yeah, that was satisfying.
0: Yeah, reports out of training camp is that um, he and Jordan Berry are kind of neck and neck, but Presley Harvin nailed it in the game.
1: Pat McAfee talks a lot about punters. It is, obviously, for the brand. Pat McAfee trying to make the world more aware of punting and kicking. And it is cool because he knows his stuff. He knows all the punters from every team, knows a lot of them personally, knows their strengths and weaknesses. He breaks them down like Chris Sims knows all the quarterbacks, right? He remembers Squishy getting hurt in the Hall of Fame game, and he says he's a big Jordan Berry fan. And the way he's described Jordan Berry in the past is that Jordan Berry might actually be able to punt it farther than any other player in the league, but his control is poop, and when he gets in the games, it doesn't go right for him. And I'm always surprised to hear that in professional athletics, even though I know, especially at punter or kicker, it's like a golfer, right? It's just you out there. It's total mind game. Like, these dudes all have legs. And with Berry, that analysis always surprises me because the guy's been playing for, like, frickin' 10 years, it feels like not literally, but he's been playing for a long time, so you would think at a certain point you get the yips out of there, but I, maybe it's not even just yips. It's just, I don't know, it's different in a stadium. It's different with live bullets. So I guess it's not surprising that they're neck and neck during training camp, according to reports, because Barry has a monster leg, which is ironic because the worst facet of his game, in my opinion, is punting when he is inside the Steelers zone. That's where you want to see the monster leg. Somebody just Boot this to the other 20, and he usually lands at around the 50, which is infuriating. But that's a lot of time for us to spend on a punter. Uh, But it was worth it because not only is it a fun story, but it's a major advantage. The Steelers have played with one arm tied behind their back on special teams for a long time. You have an awesome defense. You could get 10 yards of extra field position per drive when you're working with a guy like this. So that was huge. I'd say Presley Harvin, obviously the star of the game. After that, I got two guys – who are going to continue the Steelers tradition. The Steelers tradition is draft guys, and in between their first year and their second year, they become superstars. You've seen it with Le'Veon Bell. You've seen it with DeCastro and Pouncey. You've seen it with, with countless guys. Highsmith and Claypool really showed up. I know Claypool had the drop. I'll get into that. But Highsmith was a monster, and his performance culminated in that beautiful, like Dwight Freeney-esque spin move for a sack, that we have been seeing all over Twitter and on the internet. He's, been, he's had the spin. He did it a little bit last year. But it seems like this offseason he's made the spin move a huge priority. He's, a, he's, a, he's got a good build. But he doesn't strike me. Maybe it's just weird seeing someone playing Bud Dupree's spot. Where Bud Dupree was eight foot four, 700 pounds of muscle. So I don't think of Highsmith as a massive power guy. And his game is tech. He's got power and he's got talent and speed for sure. But it's also his technique. He's got pushes and pulls and counters. And it seems like he's really focusing on using the spin move. And this is what I liked, Dad. The fact that this guy, like, he knows he's a starter. Like, I'm going to be a starter. I'm going to try and be a star this this year. But I'm only going to get limited repetitions in preseason games. This is the perfect time to try out the new stuff. And I think a lot of players are scared to do that. Like a quarterback, for instance, Let's talk about like a Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold has this major deficiency where he does not throw bombs down the sideline. He's great over the middle of the field, but he doesn't throw the go route. I mean, it's frustrating to watch. If I were Sam Darnold in the preseason, I would throw more go routes than I normally do. But I think if you're Sam Darnold, you're probably nervous to do that because even though it's preseason, it's televised. And you don't want to throw a pick, so you don't do it. Just like the Steelers last night. We know they need to throw over the middle of the field more. They do not do it. I hope we see that. So I like that Highsmith used the preseason as a training ground for some new techniques. I thought that was pretty cool.
0: First of all, Alex Highsmith looks slight compared to Bud Dupree, who's basically his stomach wall muscles shown through his uniform. (laughs) I think they're, you know, to your point about him escalating his performance in the second year. Now he knows what to work on. I mean he's had a season, right? And, yeah. and you know obviously I think he progressed during the season, but just having the time to reflect on last year, now he know he, he knew how to prepare during the off season and like you said the ex- experimentation there are – I won't profess to understand all the moves that a defensive edge has, you know, mm-hmm. inside curl and, and rip moves and swim moves. I mean they're it, – it, it's pretty many. complex. But,
1: but yeah, it's com- there's actually not that many. There's like really four to six moves and a lot of guys – Only like the way Chris Long describes in his podcast, some dudes are one-move guys and they, they're just the best at that and they have one counter. And then other guys are toolbox guys who have the, the four of them, which is – Hi Smith, sorry not to interrupt you there, but I, I was hearing Chris Long talk about that recently. I thought he he explained it uh, really proficiently.
0: I think TJ's that guy. He's the Swiss Army knife of of moves. He has a lot.
1: Right. Yeah, he does. And and he has the major athletic upside as well. So Highsmith was great. Okay, Claypool. Everybody who listens to the podcast knows this is kind of my guy. I mean, Deontay. If I had to say a favorite receiver, it's Deontay. You know, I love the Shifty guys, but Claypool to me, I just want to put all the pressure in the world on him. You remember how we've been saying with Fryermouth? like they need to just verbally abuse this guy to turn him into a blocker. Cause if Fryermouth could turn into a blocker, this guy is a, could be a standout tight end Claypool. They need to abuse him into becoming a number one receiver because he has all the freaking talent to be a top 10 top five. He could literally be the best receiver in the league. If he found out a way to tighten a lot of stuff up. Okay. I thought that drop that he had on third down from a perfect pass from Mason Rudolph, which somehow Twitter, I saw Steelers fans be like, well, it was Rudolph. He laid him out there. What? He hit him perfectly in stride in the freaking hands. It was a little, it's not even high just because you have to reach. He didn't have to jump. He just reached his arms up. Perfect pass. And he dropped that. That pissed me off deeply, especially after hearing the reports this week about the dropped passes, I am getting nervous. We're going to see a little bit more of that this year. And I know that somehow the media last year found a way to pin the dropped passes on Ben. Like all summer, all I've heard is they dropped passes. But a lot of people are thinking that's because Ben was checking to pass plays. And when you pass short that many times, the defense knows to tee off on people like what? whatever, whatever. Okay. And when you look at Ben's downfield passes last year, not a lot of guys making plays on the ball. A little frustrating. So I was pissed off with that drop. But overall, he was the man, right? I mean, they split up but they got Deontay the ball a couple times quick, early. But Chase Claypool had two catches on deep outs. Those need to be automatics for him. When you have a six-whatever guy who can – I mean, he's not really technically a deep threat. He's got to keep working on that to become that. But when you have that type of super speed and athleticism, that deep out needs to be a staple. Mike Wallace ran three routes, go, stop, and deep out. So the fact that Mason had two beautiful throws to him on deep outs, those are like the kind of 12-yard pickups we want to see. Maybe he can learn some Tony Toetap stuff. Obviously, we saw A.B. gets that a lot. And then, of course, the one big play we saw in the game, the 40-yard catch, where he probably got pass interfered with, 45 yards, dove out, caught the ball, landed on the ball, knocked his wind out, still made the catch. That's what we need from Chase Claypool. And if I go two games without seeing something like that from Chase Claypool, I think he needs to be working harder because he's got the talent to be that guy.
0: I agree. The exciting thing about that 45-yard reception was just how far he had to lay himself out to catch the ball. So, And last year we did see maybe – Maybe you couldn't uh, call him Tony Toe Tap, but he had some he had some great catches on oh, the yeah. side of the field. So he has a yeah. sense of of uh, the constraints of the field. And I don't know whether it was a makeup for him. Like I got to make up for that drop pass because what I saw right. on that that crossing pattern, it looked like he heard footsteps coming Absolutely. straight at him.
1: How does that guy hear footsteps? The the man who's going to hit you is going to get hurt, not you. You're freaking Hercules. I just yeah, great point. Like, he made those sideline catches. Obviously, his first catch of his career against the Giants in that first game was one of the best catches I've ever seen in between two guys in the sideline. So that's why I expect so much out of him. I've seen it before. I thought yesterday's game or, or a few days ago's game, it was a Martavis Bryant game. Like, in, in, in just an absolutely agonizing, mind-boggling drop. But then a bunch of big plays. And with Martavis, we eventually came to the conclusion on this podcast, like, we'll deal with the drop. It's fine. This is like a T.O. used to do it. Randy Moss would do it. But the big plays make up for it so much that it doesn't matter. So even if, if Claypool could turn it into that, I'd be really happy. But you knew you could rely on Martavis to make a 50-yard play every game. Claypool's not there yet. So, if, so that diving catch to me was a little indication that, okay, if you can do that and make those routine deep out plays. You, you can have a drop. That's fine. We're okay with that. So, yeah, I think that those are the three, like, major players I would say really stood out. It was Presley, Harvin, Highsmith, and Claypool. And then the next one, I'd say James Pierre. We mentioned him. Obviously, highly publicized uh, in Steelers Nation. Cornerback. Came out of nowhere. Amazing camp last year. Even better camp this year. They let two star cornerbacks walk away in Pittsburgh, and you're thinking your, your plan is to put an undrafted guy. Well, so far, so good. He gave up that one post, but then he broke up like two passes and was right on the guy's hands on the other pass. So he looked good. He passed the test. I'd say, let me speed this up a little bit because we're doing this standout moments thing. But the secondary in general was really competitive. We saw a ton of early motion by Matt Canada's offense. We saw some under the center. We saw some play action. That was encouraging. We saw third and one conversions. Oh, my God. Haven't seen those in two years. That was exciting. And, of course, most of all, it's not tongue-in-cheek because that field is a piece of garbage. No injuries. So that's massive. That, those, that's what stood out to me. And then really the only negative things, you and I talked about it, it. seemed like the Cowboys were moving the ball at will. But then they only scored like three points, Right.
0: So what was it? That? that was my impression. It seemed like we just sort of slowly let them downfield. But when I looked at the possession chart, you know, it really ended after the second quarter. I mean, they didn't have a, a drive of over 50 yards after this. So they, I guess they had one over 50 yards in the second half. So, I mean, they kind of ran out of steam. Yeah. Um, not sure what to attribute that to their change to of quarterback. To.
1: I'll tell you what to attribute to. Garrett Gilbert. There are some third-string quarterbacks in the NFL, I mean, I know he's the second-string, who just have the Steelers' damn number. Whether it was Terrell Pryor or Gradkowski before he joined us or stupid Glennon, who's beat the Steelers like two different times, there are some randos who just have the Steelers' number and Garrett Gilbert was on fire when he played them last year or two years ago, whatever it is. So they got him out of there and the Steelers got it under control.
0: I'd say the one bummer is, I mean, the offense didn't have a single drive of over 50 yards. Of course, they did score on the one yes. where uh, post uh, punt that went to yeah, Dallas 33. But pattern, yeah. On
1: return, yeah. And then the only other negative is I just feel bad for Sloman, the kicker. I mean, those weren't misses. Those were like, you might as well have just Charlie Browned the ball. And that would have been less embarrassing. But I felt great for him that he made up for it in the end. Nobody's going to sign him after a disaster like that. But recovering and making the 48-yarder after the two horrible misses and then making an extra point, he could, he could stick around. And he could get another tryout. I, I, I don't know what you have to do for a day job to, to keep the dream alive, but I felt good for him when he did that.
0: Yeah, I think he looked at Canada first.
1: Yeah. Okay, let's do the position breakdowns. And I guess we'll move a little bit more quickly with some of them like receiver and edge because we obviously covered some of that before. But let's start with the QBs. Uh, I would describe the QBs, the quarterback's game, as nondescript. I, I, I think I'm just more interested in the Twitter interaction of, like, the most popular guy in town is the second-string quarterback, unless you're a Steelers fan, and it's always going to be the third-string quarterback. Look, I'm tongue-in-cheek with this. Like, I get, of course, I'm way more excited about Dwayne Haskins than Rudolph. We've made our opinions known on Rudolph. Like, this guy can be a backup. He's not a starter. He literally gets poop stains on his pants the second someone gets within eight feet of him. Like it's, it's just not going to work. Haskins, so much more talent. Will it work out? Will it not? We'll see. But I thought that Rudolph was actually pretty solid. Um, again, those timing routes to Claypool, he was actually very accurate. He had that one horrible pass to Washington, but that's exactly what we expect because somebody got within eight yards of Rudolph, so he's going to poop his pants and throw the ball to the middle of nowhere. Okay, other than that, very nice throws to Claypool, all four of them. And by the way, you're saying four of them. I like how they fed him. You know, hit Deontay in the hands. Of course, Deontay freaking bobbles it on the first play or second play or whatever it is. There it is. But I thought that, okay, he gets to play with the first receivers. So I have to grade it on a curve. But he was the only guy who threw downfield at all. I thought Haskins was was not good in his first game. All right? And that doesn't mean I don't think he's going to be – Great in these next few games. I think he definitely has the potential to do that. But seems seemingly me had the yips. And it just annoys me when I see people online talking about... Even comparing his and Mason Rudolph's game is ridiculous. Like, Mason Rudolph made a couple nice throws downfield. Dwayne Haskins underthrew four one-yard passes. I mean, every... I like that he moved around the pocket a little bit. I like that he took the checkdowns when the time came. But every single one of the balls went to the people's feet. Okay? I've talked about my... Drew Brees and Tom Brady, the famous one-yard passers in NFL history, right? I talk about it, I get a little frustrated because Ben doesn't get like these guys just get worshipped, and then you see any time they have a backup quarterback going in New England or New Orleans over the last ten years, they absolutely tear it up. I mean, the 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 list is so long. It's not just the Matt Castle eleven and five year. It's oh, but then Garoppolo did it, then Brissett did it, and then in New Orleans they went freaking ten and one without Drew Brees like multiple times. So what I'm trying to say is, like, pipe down with them. But one thing I will tell you that they're elite at is when they do throw those one-yard passes, and and obviously Brady and Breeze are freaking amazing. I just get tired of, like, the invincibility they get in the press. But when they throw the one-yard passes, they're perfect every time. I mean, even Ben on some screens makes receivers jump or scoop down to grab the ball. Never with Breeze or Brady or Rodgers. It's going to be perfectly in stride where that ball is going to arrive. And that allows these guys to run for four or five yards. So when you throw a fricking one yard pass, it needs to be right in their hands. Right. And Haskins was brutal with that. He should have had a touchdown pass if he didn't throw that at Ray Ray's feet. So I thought that Haskins was not that good. I think he was a little bit nervous. I'd like to see them give him some reps with the ones in one of these games or with the twos at least. So I could see him push the ball down the field more. Did you have any strong opinions on Haskins game?
0: On second reflection, I do. I agree that he didn't have a good game. I expected to see more given his starting NFL experience. He he looked composed. I'm not saying he looked freaked out. Right. But he should have been better, especially when, when, when it comes to accuracy, which do you think he has some really clunky mechanics? It looks like – I mean, the I can't figure out his, his – It's not pretty. It's not pretty, and he no. doesn't – his feet aren't set – can he elude a guy? He can. He can elude them, but he's pretty slow. I mean, his the one run that he got, that five yard run he, he had for uh, first down. It's not like he gets up ahead of steam. It's, so I think his elusiveness is overrated. His mechanics are very clunky, and I wouldn't want to rely on them. He doesn't get his feet set, and he was inaccurate.
1: He, he is. I, I think. Like, he's a first-round talent. He can throw the ball far. He can throw the ball hard. He is big, and he can, th- he can stand in the pocket and take hits and make throws. He is a super poor man's Ben Roethlisberger. Because if you go back and watch Ben Roethlisberger's rookie highlights, like he could run for 30-yard gains. I mean, Ben was actually pretty quick, even though he wasn't a scrambling quarterback. But what Ben would do more often was he would run around behind the line of scrimmage from one sideline to the other, which is still you have to be fast to outrun these guys, and then he'd make deep throws. Ben's just so, and so much of a smoother athlete, whether it's throwing or juking or running, pump faking, whatever. Haskins has baseline modern NFL scramble ability, which is that like, he can get out of, the, out of harm's way if he needs to. Rudolph might have been okay 10 years ago when you had Matt Hasselback and, and people like that. Like You could have really slow guys. Well, not anymore. So Haskins, yeah, the arm is good. It's strong, but it's not super smooth. He's by no means one of the most physically talented quarterbacks who's come out in the past few years. I think people overrate that a little. He deserves to be in the first round, but he's not – immensely talented in one area. He's just kind of good at everything. Um, okay, so th- there he is. And by the way, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I think I'm actually a little bit more positive on him than I was a few months ago, uh, just based on some of the reports out of camp. And yeah, he, he, I mean, he does clearly look so much more talented than Rudolph, even in that limited action. The ball zips around better. He can move around better. And then Josh Dobbs, hell yeah. Preseason All-American, beautiful throw in the touchdown. Love to see Dobbs. All right.
0: So we had a conversation before the podcast, as you mentioned, and it centered around the offensive line. And as I was folding laundry talking to you, I said, I give the Steeler front office low marks for letting this happen. How did we have, I'll call it 90% turnover since Chukes just had to actually move his position on the offensive line. He's the only alumnus from last year. And then we started digging a little further into exactly how this materialized and the moves the Steelers did make to get to where we are today.
1: Yeah, we started this conversation because we both agreed that the offensive line actually played pretty well during this preseason game. Granted, it's it's not the offensive line. <laughs> None of them played except for Kendrick Green. Uh, the all-star Pittsburgh Steelers reporter, Alex Kazora, put out some clips of Kendrick Green and, and Dan Moore. Woo, Kendrick Green, he's going to be a guy. He is, he's like running back fast, this guy. Like, he can really move. He's as advertising. He looks a little bit bigger on the field than I thought he would. So that's exciting. But you and I got into the conversation because the offensive line, albeit it's, even, it's backups, they played well. They got some third and one pushes. I think that's a big-time attitude thing, whether you're starting or, or not starting in, in Pittsburgh. They got – and by the way, what a great job by, by Tomlin to choose to go for it on fourth and one and you know to go for it on third and one with run plays because, you know, like I said, I like how Highsmith worked on – experimenting in the preseason the Steelers need to establish that from the preseason like the preseason matters for the Steelers this year because they have so many unknowns but we were talking about it like how the hell can you have five new starters on the offensive line and you're right Chook started last year but he's moving to other position and that's not always that easy I can't remember a team that's ever done that and it just seemed negligent and then we went through what happened with the Steelers and we kind of realized they've done a much better job than maybe we've given them credit for. And I don't know how it's going to turn out. I expect the beginning of the year is going to be going to be rough. it would be rough for anybody. You're playing against NFL talent. But think about how this went. Okay, Villanueva, let's go through the people they lost this year. Villanueva was going either way. Colbert or Rooney mentioned this past week that we just didn't have enough money to pay him. You got to think about it. He's 34 years old. Sometimes you forget about that because of the Army career or whatever, and he hasn't been around that long. He's old, and he's going to command some money, and they have decided, like, we're not going to invest that amount in in the position. Marquise Pouncey did the Steelers a favor by retiring at the beginning of the offseason, but Colbert said this week he was surprised he did not expect Pouncey to retire. Now, I think they would have drafted Kendrick Green in the third round, regardless of whether Pouncey was here or not, because if Pouncey didn't retire this year, it would be next year, and you have the literal perfect successor, For Pouncey, I mean, so many similarities in their game in terms of being speed guys. So, okay, we'll give you credit for that. But that does suck because Kendrick Green played a lot of guard in college. You would have had a guy who could have been a swing guard. And then you're feeling really good about that if Pouncy's starting. Okay, now here's where the gambles start. The gambles start with the fact that they let David DeCastro come into camp or come into mini camp. And then realize, oh, we can't use this guy. We got to let him go. And I think that that's what they said going into this offseason. Look, we have no money. The Steelers have no salary cap room. You can't just go out there and trade for people and pick up people. You're not drafting in the top 15. There's not a lot of options, as much as people want to say. You know, they didn't do things to pick up the offensive line. So we're going to gamble and hope that our all-pro Hall of Honor guard, who's, you know, not that old, we're going to hope that he recovers. Guess what? He did not. And what did they do in response to that? They got a carbon copy of him and Trey Turner. We're talking multiple time pro bowl guard who's had injury problems for the past two years, but he is younger, two or three years younger than David DeCastro. And when I look at that, that's where I'm thinking, man, that's, that's some real flexibility, like to be able to take the gamble and then to be able to mitigate it. Like how much worse are the Steelers off with the, with an injured DeCastro or an injured Turner going into the season? I'd rather have DeCastro, who's been here, yeah, but it's not that different. So they did a pretty good job there. Pouncy retiring, it is what it is, you know. Um, I'm not trying to claim that they've handled this all perfectly, but I think they fought on their feet. And they got a Dan Moore in the fourth round, and they got Kendrick Green. Two type of guys who fly under the radar, but if you talk to the scouting community, hey, these are really high upside guys. So good picks, the same way Chase Claypool was a good pick the year before, you know, like under the radar. But, oh, this guy could be a real star. So I think that they've done a – you know, and then we mentioned they had two tackles who they deemed to be starting tackles last year, and Chukes and Banner. So whether we think that or not, they already had that made up. So it's not like they're just playing randomly, right? They picked up Joe Haig. That's tough. I don't know if there was anyone else available out there. And, and then they picked up freaking B.J. Finney. So when you look at it, they actually made a lot of efforts – to fix the offensive line. The big gambles were with DeCastro and the fact that they didn't draft someone in the first or second round. And that may go down in history as the one where it's like, well, look, dude, I don't care if you would have overdrafted a lineman. You, you can't take a running back over a lineman in that position. And I do understand that argument. So that, to me, is, is the one black mark. But this is a long winded way of me saying, you and I talked about what they do with the offensive line, and they've actually been pretty creative and pretty nimble. And there's reason to believe that this offensive line could be really good maybe next year.
0: Najee Harris, seven attempts, 22 yards, 3.1 yard average. Is he a bust?
1: I think what they got, he got swallowed up in the backfield for a three or four yard loss on his final carry. I mean, he looks exactly the way you think he looks. He looks awesome. I mean, his sudden, he looks exactly like he did at, uh, at Alabama. His decisiveness, where he hits the hole... He does that lateral stuff that Le'Veon does, but he's really decisive in hitting the hole. That first carry was awesome. Took a jump cut off the right side. And then you saw him sort of freeze in midair for a second and see if he wanted to cut it outside. But he knew that, you know what, if I just barrel over this next guy, I'm going to get the first down. He got it. He made a catch. He was never tackled by one guy. It was always multiple people on him. Surprised he got that much playing time. But, uh, I, you know, cool. Like it's Najee Harris. He's awesome. I'd say other than that, McFarland didn't do that much. And Kalen Blage sounds like from the reports and camp and from what we saw in the game, he might be making the push to be that number three or number two kind of guy. So I thought he did. Okay.
0: Just before we move on though, I said that nobody probably shot himself in the foot, but Jalen Samuels, 11 attempts, 20 yards, no change in his performance.
1: He's very slow. Poor guy. Yeah, Sexton had the nice return. I don't think that there's anything to talk about um, in terms of the receivers. I, like, nice to see Deontay out there terrified when he hit his knee on that, on that little screen. Hate that he bobbled the ball on his first catch. That's, I mean, that's just got to make you nervous, doesn't it, Dad? Aren't you feeling the way we felt about Boswell last year? Boswell bounced back in the most unbelievable way. Like, he was the number, one, number two kicker in the league last year. Over the last five years, I think he has the best field goal percentage, him and Justin Tucker. But after that horrible uh, 2018 or 19 year, whatever it was, we were always holding our breath with Boz. And then Claypool drops a pass and Deontay bobbles one in the first his first pass in the freaking preseason. That's a little nerve wracking.
0: I would say that uh, we are particularly sensitized to that. And I wouldn't extrapolate a sample that's so small, except that we've been hearing the same thing out of training camp. So, yeah, I'm a little nervous. Why don't we talk about the tight end? Is Kevin Rader making a push?
1: No, he's doing the exact same thing he did before. But that speaking of the push, that block was pretty awesome on the TD. I don't think there's anything else for the tight ends really either. The block was phenomenal. Let's move on to the defense.
0: Let's move on to the defense. So the Steelers actually got four sacks in this game, starting with the uh, Highsmith one you mentioned earlier.
1: Here's what's amazing, is the Steelers got four sacks, which they are basically guaranteed to get every game for the past five years. And they got them without really showing a lot of blitzes. And that's kind of the Steelers' way. You and I talked about this. You were getting frustrated with the Steelers kind of getting gashed in the first half. And I said, here's my opinion, is the Steelers' defense is based off of two things. Number one, they get highly athletic freak show players. I think the Ravens like to do that too, but that's kind of like their thing. Whereas like, you know, obviously new England prioritizes like smart guys who are versatile a little bit more. Not saying the Steelers defenders aren't, aren't smart, but they look for the athleticism first and foremost. Then the second thing about the Steelers, you can ask any quarterback or any coordinator from the past 30 years, because it has not changed in Pittsburgh since the nineties. And it has worked most of the time. The thing about the Steelers is, is it's chaos. It's blitzing from random places. Yeah, they get a little game-specific, but we all know the tried and true how do other teams get their number one receivers matched up with middle linebackers so often. It's going to happen again this year. It pisses me off. So clearly their game-specific stuff is, is, is good, not great. But what's great is their, the crazy zone blitzing Blitzburg scheme. Butler is phenomenal at dialing up blitzes. We've always said that. They've had a ton of sacks that past whatever number of years, even when the defense wasn't that good. And so that's why I was even more impressed that the Steelers were getting sacks. They're starting to get to the point. Well, they're not starting to get to the point. They've always had a good eye for pass rushers. The Jarvis Jones saga, you know, threw them back. for, And, and Bud Dupree not hitting until, you know, three, four years in. That threw them off of the pass rushers for a couple of years. But other than that, like, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's going to be pass rushers. So very impressed, impressed with the pass rush, even with a bunch of backups in there.
0: Uh, you mentioned my my observation that the Steelers were getting gashed in the middle of the field. That felt like a flashback to me.
1: Yeah, it's gonna. It's never gonna stop. It's really never gonna stop as long as Butler and, and Tomlin are the coaches. So we'll see what happens.
0: All right. So we both agree that the secondary is a pretty big spot, a pretty bright spot in that game.
1: They were just competing at the catch point over and over again. We talked about Pierre, very encouraging game. Justin Lane was Justin Lane. I just, I'm sorry. I know this isn't very analytical. I just have such an Artie Burns feel around him. Always have. He has not, I know he forced a fumble a little bit. We don't know if it was really a catcher, if it wasn't. And that was a nice play. I was really happy to see him. But that guy just, he just struggles to stay with receivers so badly. But other than that, Mark Gilbert, number 17. I hate that, by the way. I just, like. That's a Steelers wide receiver number. That is just so confusing for me. He played really nice. He had that nice speed turn on that out route. Uh, He had some breakups. And then I think the rest of the dudes like Arthur Millette and um, Brooks had some good moments and some bad moments. Brooks, uh, he can do some of the Mike Hilton blitzing line of scrimmage stuff, but I don't know how it's going to be. Just look at him. He's so yoked up. I don't know how much he can really cover. But, yeah, the secondary was good. And then Killebrew— you know, special team star. He was very good at safety. You kind of expect that when when you got a veteran type dude playing in, uh, late in, you know, playing in a preseason game. So we'll we'll see what's up with him. But it's at least nice that you have someone who knows what they're doing.
0: The only position I think we did not scrutinize is the holder. How did Harvin do as a holder? I always wanted to imagine how he gets that body down. And
1: you've ever have you ever played with those guys who are like overweight, but they're. Like Jerome is Like, I play with a couple guys, and like, even just like intramural stuff, particularly, because they don't always make it in like organized sports in high school or whatever. But like, there are some guys who it's like, damn, dude, if you lost 50 pounds, <laughs> you would be, you could be like actually a skilled position player. I guess that's what uh, Harvin is. And the last people we didn't tackle are the inside linebackers, and that was pretty lackluster. I was disappointed in Spillane's game. Like, he had good instincts, he read well, he shot himself out of cannon and got swallowed up a bunch of times by offensive linemen. So uh, actually, I'm kind of glad to see him get the reps in there because clearly he needs them. UG3 had an absolutely brutal missed tackle as he's that's, – that's who he is. That's who he's been since West Virginia. So we'll see about that in the future. Keep Devin Bush off the field.
0: When we come back from this sponsor's message, we're going to talk about what's next for the Steelers.
1: Spotify Greenroom. Room. Ladies and gentlemen, we got the live audio-only sports talk platform that is the best platform in the world, and it's here for you. You can talk to fans, podcasters, athletes, and insiders in real time. Is Shifter on there? Are we breaking news? Get in on the conversations that you listen to here every day. Share your own experiences and your takes on the app. There's a bunch of chances to be featured on different podcasts and Really, just to get in t- touch with a bunch of sports freaks like ourselves, download the Spotify Green Room app for free in the iOS App Store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group.
0: We had a little discussion before the podcast, as I mentioned, and one of the one of the points of contention is how much should the starter, how much action should the starters see in the preseason? Now, it was nice not to have injuries. There were only a couple of starters who had significant time. Uh, But what happens when you start plugging them in there?
1: Okay, so here's my thought. We have this conversation all the time. We had it a lot during the Killer Bees era because the reason why the Killer Bees didn't win a Super Bowl, it's two reasons. Number one, Tomlin and Colbert's inability and Butler's inability to put together a competent defense even just one time. I mean, these were bottom five defenses. Number two, just injuries. I know people hate to hear that. Luck isn't an excuse. It's absolutely an excuse. That's how the NFL works. It's a war of attrition. Who gets injured at the wrong time? Who gets injured at the right time? Right? So in those preseason games, we did not like to see the killer bees or the offensive linemen out there because we saw Pouncey go down too many times at the beginning of the season. We saw Ben, A.B. or Bell going down at the end of the season way too many times. And we said, put them in bubble wrap. We already know what we have. Just give them one or two drives in the third game. That's all we need. Sure enough, I think their final year together, they played against the Saints in the one drive, and it went Eli Rogers, 10 yards. Eli Rogers, 8 yards. Le'Veon Bell, 10 yards. AB, 50 yards, touchdown. Get them off the field. We already knew what we had. There's so much continuity on that line and with the skill positions. We didn't want to see them risk injury in the preseason. Currently, we have the exact opposite situation five new starters at offensive line and a new offensive coordinator who's running a system that is different from anything Ben has run in 20 years. Yes, we know it's not going to look completely unfamiliar, but there are new elements as shown by Mason Rudolph's fumbled exchange with Chase Claypool. It's not super easy to do those jet sweeps. There's a timing element to them. So here's my thing. I want to see Ben and I want to see all the starters, playing all three of the rest of these games. I want to see them do like a full half in, okay, so what do they have, three more games? I'd like to see, you know, maybe two drives the next game. I'd like to see a full half in the game following that, and I'd like to see one more drive, one to two drives in the game after. Usually they sit the starters. I'm sure they will sit them for the entire game in the fourth game as is tradition. I don't think they should do it. I think they've taken too many gambles already this year by, all right, we're going to bring back Ben. We're going to hope that he plays a lot better than he did at the end of last season. We're going to have five new offensive starters on the line. We're going to have a new offensive coordinator. We're not going to take a lineman in the first round. Like, you you gave up your gambles already. They need to play in games. And to me, they need to get the bad taste of last year out of their mouth as well. And I would really like to see them play going forward. What What are you thinking around that? Are you nervous about injury, or do you think that they need time to gel? Does it make you nervous making Ben play, you know, 20 games in one year?
0: I don't want to live in my fears. No, I think they got to play. I, I think it would be a lot to expect them to come out and go from 0 to 60 without some – you know shaking the rust off so I would like yeah. to see Them play and it wouldn't be 20 games I mean how much How much time do you think that Ben needs In the preseason
1: right yeah one like quarter? I, I, I was outlining it just there like I'd like next week I'd like to see Two drives two to three drives The following week I'd like to see a full Half and the following week I'd like to see One to two drives so you're right it's not A full 20 games
0: so th- Unfortunately What you this is unfortunate but you mentioned Earlier that you'd like to see Haskins with the first team there are probably a couple guys you might want to see with the first team. Obviously Najee, right. but you know you don't have that many questions about no, him. You have I, a lot I of questions about Haskins.
1: I sort of tried to correct myself after I said first team. I said, or at least the second team, because no, I don't want to see him taking Ben's place at all. That's a complete waste of time. Like I said, Ben and the receivers need to play together, but I'd like to see him not play with the third team. So at least can we have like, oh, at least Washington and and, you know, Claypool are out there, or Washington and Deontay. Like Give him Haskins something to work with, but that's not my priority at all. And especially if I'm outlining this plan where I'd like to see the starters play more, I'm not leaving Claypool in there or Deontay in there just so I can see Haskins. I just want to see him play before Mason Rudolph. I think that would be the fair thing to do. That's what they used to do with Dobbs and Rudolph. One time you get the, the higher-rated guys, Dobbs, and then the next week we're going to give it to Mason. So that's what I'd like to see with Haskins um, but it's not a priority because the uh, the starting offense needs so much work.
0: It will be what it will be. Uh, let's see the next game. The Eagles. Another Thursday night game. 7.30 at least. We'll get to bed before midnight.
1: I yeah, can't hate on that. It's Thursday night?
0: Thursday night. This Thursday? Yeah. Clear your schedule.
1: Already the cleared. 12th. This is I'm, – I'm so psyched. I mean, I'm all, we're always psyched for preseason. But I was surprised at how pumped I was that – Tommy and Nikki were back on the grind. The Serena men watching the Steel men. And it was, a, it was actually, for a Hall of Fame game, it's a fun game to watch. I think a lot of it has to do with having you know, three quarterbacks who you, you know, uh, are familiar with and, and can do some exciting things, even though they didn't really end up doing those exciting things. But I'm just excited for the year to get back. There are so many questions with this Steelers team that I think we're, we're all eager to, to you know, see what happens.
0: Yeah, there is. Uh, the Steelers are approaching one record, maybe nobody else other than you and I uncovered, because we mentioned it during the game. You can't have three guys on the roster with the last name of Johnson.
1: No, can't do the it. Steelers,
0: the Steelers in 2016, that was the last time we had multiple Johnsons.
1: Oh,
0: <laughs> David and Steve, who we also followed assiduously. But we have Deontay, Buddy, and Anthony. Anthony, maybe not likely to make the team, but there is that possibility.
1: Yeah, that's going to be confusing for the old Serena men here, but we'll figure it out one way or another.
0: Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Shoot us an email at steelersoutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go Steelers.
1: Okay, bye bye.
0: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is! And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win! Unbelievable!
1: When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate
0: isn't to search at all.
1: And support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering
1: secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit SleepingDogsMovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's SleepingDogsMovie.com slash
0: Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you.